0: Welcome to the Abcite Smackdown Podcast. We'll talk clinical scenarios, interesting absite facts, and interesting general surgery knowledge. Now, let's get to it.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Abcite Smackdown Podcast. And Today, our guest is Dr. Kim Helseth. Uh, Kim, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much for talking to you here.
1: Today, uh, Dr. Helseth and I are going to discuss uh, some of the uh, relevant content for the AB site uh, regarding hepatobiliary. And we'll progress through a scenario together where Dr. Helseth can give us her expertise on uh, what can often be a challenging uh, problem uh, that we see around the hospital. So, Dr. Helseth, again, welcome to the program. And um, we're hoping you can help us out with an interesting case of a 32-year-old female we saw recently uh, in our ICU. And this uh, 32-year-old, uh, we were consulted on regarding uh, jaundice. Uh, the medical team uh, gave us a ring, and she was in the ICU for uh, sepsis, which uh, they thought was of a pulmonary origin. Uh, on uh, ICU day approximately three, her total bilirubin rose as high as uh, four, and she had jaundice in some of the classical places, including the classic place under the tongue and beyond that. And medicine had noticed these subtle changes and uh, they decided to give us a call. So with that, uh, Dr. Hilseth, uh you and your team are asked to see the patient and how do you proceed?
2: Well, the first step with any case in any setting is to see the patient and do a physical exam and a full history. I would ask about um, any other um, associated symptoms, any other surgical history that she may have had, any other underlying medical conditions that could be contributory, and then, of course, do a thorough physical exam.
1: And with that, uh, on seeing the patient, uh, you do notice that she's quite septic. Her blood pressure's uh, low and she is requiring pressors and fluid resuscitation. But owing to your careful review of the chart, you're able to notice that, sure enough, she did have a previous uh, laparoscopic cholecystectomy That was about three years ago now. And uh, besides those data, any uh, interest or anything in particular uh, that you want to look for or that you're interested in to help you decide where to go next?
2: So I would also look at other lab findings. Is there an obvious source of infection? I would look at her LFTs just to make sure that those are not also um, elevated and you know, alkphos that can be very useful in determining, determining. Excuse me, the underlying etiology.
1: Well, great. Uh, sure enough, just like we said, uh, she is septic from a pulmonary origin. And yes, her LFTs are uh, elevated. Her transaminases are quite elevated, as is her alkphos. And the medical team really just sort of thought that she has uh, what's sometimes called shocked, uh, shock liver or ischemic liver. Uh, with poor oxygen delivery. So they were attributing it all to that. Um, And again, with your careful review of the chart, uh, you do notice that she had that uh, previous laparoscopic cholecystectomy a few years ago. So really with not a lot of significant additional information, how do you proceed?
2: Well, um, from there, I'm going to start to form a differential diagnosis. Obviously, um, given her surgical history, I'm concerned that she may have developed A biliary stricture as a sequela of her laparoscopic cholecystectomy. However, there are more um, dangerous concerns that also could be considered, including um, an underlying malignancy that's causing an obstruction. The
0: Absite Smackdown podcast. Visit the Smackdown at absitesmackdown.com.
1: And in addition to your well formed physical diet, your well formed uh, differential diagnosis. Are there any medical conditions, and you don't have to really, I think, be too specific with these, but we're cu- I'm curious, and I think the listeners are curious, in addition to some of the surgical conditions you named, are, are there any medical conditions that you think could uh, be responsible for her jaundice?
2: Mm-hmm. So um, given in the, the fact that we said she is in an ICU setting, you, ha- you always have to be worried about you know, underlying sepsis can cause an elevated indirect hyperbilirubinemia hyperbilirubinemia. I can never say that word. Uh, You also have to be worried, is the ICU over transfusing her? Because um, an elevated level of hemolysis or excessive transfusions can also lead to an elevated bilirubin.
1: So it sounds like there are several more medical diagnoses rather than surgical that could also be responsible. So now... Given this differential that you've nicely laid out, how do, you, how do you recommend that we narrow that or start to get to the bottom of what she has and whether she needs surgical intervention?
2: So I would say it's time for some imaging now. Um, my first step with any biliary workup is always the ultrasound because it can give you good um, anatomical breakdown of what does the gallbladder look like, how dilated are your ducts, is there intra or extrahepatic biliary ductal dilatation, and then you can proceed from there.
1: Okay, you mentioned some of your key factors that you look for are whether her ducts are dilated um, and, you know, certain other findings. Can you go on to, to describe a little more or be a little more specific about why you're focused on whether she has dilated a dilated biliary tree?
0: The Absite Smackdown podcast is based on the best-selling review book, AbSite Smackdown only absite review with an entire video review course included. Visit AppSightSmackDown.com and pick it up today.
2: It's a mass physically pressing or whether there's a stricture as we said from her previous surgery.
1: So in this case uh, Dr. Hulse said they do go on and get your ultrasound done at the bedside. Uh, Do you do those with Doppler flows or without, or do they need uh, vascular imaging as part of that?
2: I I would not.
1: You would not in this case? Okay. So they go ahead and perform that, and they do find a dilated uh, biliary trait. Uh, The upper uh, bound, they say, is about uh, 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 1.12, rather, 12 millimeters, so fairly large uh, dilated extrahepatic Uh, biliary tree, And it looks like there's also some intrahepatic dilatation also. So with those findings, additionally, um, how should we proceed? What should we do next?
2: So um, I think that that has helped narrow our diagnosis, but I think that we can do a little bit better. Now that we've done the initial workup, I also sent her for an MRCP.
1: Okay. Um, Why should we focus, in your opinion, on an MRCP for this patient rather than you know, something like an ERCP?
2: Um, An MRCP is an imaging diagnostic modality, so that will give us more information before we do any intervention. And because we don't know her underlying cause, there's a chance that this could be a malignancy, and we want to have all the information before we proceed.
1: So in a case that's a little bit unusual like this, where you're called for this differential to the ICU, does the fact that she's an ICU patient on pressors, uh, we didn't mention intubated at all, does that affect um, whether you're able to or whether MRCP is your first choice for someone like that?
2: Absolutely. As you mentioned before, she is hypotensive and not necessarily stable for a long test or something that may require anesthesia. Now, an MRCP is not exactly a short test, um, and you would have to have support staff at the bedside for the entirety of the procedure. But... Um, before we proceed to an intervention, I would start with just a more, <coughs> excuse me, um, imaging modality test. Okay.
1: I agree with you that there's no easy answer here for a patient like this because uh, traveling is difficult, whether she can travel at all. And I also agree with your sense that traveling for an ERCP and being, you know, face down for that is also not simple for a patient like this. So this is a challenging scenario, just as you said, but I think as you make clear, you know, an MRCP is a, is a great option to help determine whether there's a mass there, and uh, it would be a reasonable recommendation. Now, let's pretend we're not able to get either one of those tests, an MRCP or an ERCP. Uh, we can't do that maybe because we're concerned about her positioning or how long she uh, would be in the MRI uh, or her clinical level of stability. Uh, are there any other options um, that can help us investigate her biliary tree uh, that, that we may be able to get or may also, at a particular institution, um, be able to be done for a patient
0: like this. The AbSite Smackdown Podcast, bringing you the best for your AbSite review.
2: Um, another option could be the percutaneous transhepatic cholangiogram which for this patient could be beneficial because it, is, it can be both a diagnostic and interventional modality where you can um, inject dye to further elicit the information that we're looking for. Is there a mass? Is there a stricture? And um, we can also do an intervention to place a stent for a temporizing relief of symptoms.
1: So it sounds like we have three options, and no matter which may fit a particular patient, Uh, we need, as you said, to narrow our differential. So let's pretend uh, she does improve uh, with fluid resuscitation, blood pressure improves. She's still requiring pressors, but she's able to travel for your MRCP. And sure enough, that does show what looks like a a stricture, uh, low in her biliary tree. And a bunch of clips around the area too, it looks like on MRI. Uh, And um, again, she'd had that previous laparoscopic cholecystectomy. So Given that MRCP information, um, how should we proceed next?
2: So now we know there's a stricture. And the next decision point for us is going to be the elucidation of whether or not this is benign or malignant. Um, And if this patient is, again, stable enough for transport, and if it is feasible for this patient, I would recommend obtaining an ERCP.
1: So the patient has improved a bunch uh, and uh, she's not on the ventilator, but often to, um, you know, do the uh, proning uh, required for an ERCP, uh, which often is, uh, she will likely and often they need intubation for that, uh, which, and again, she's a pulmonary source for her sepsis. So sometimes they're not able to come off the ventilator as quickly in these unusual scenarios, whatever the specifics, she is able to have the ERCP done. Uh, do you do those or do you have your gastroenterology colleagues do those? or
2: I would contact my gastroenterology colleagues, okay. but obviously that would depend on the facility where you're practicing yeah. and your skill level.
1: Sure. So the gastroenterology sees her and they say they'll do the uh, ERCP and she goes for that. And as part of the ERCP, what do you need or what are you looking for in terms of information to help you decide whether this is a benign or malignant stricture and, and what you have to do?
2: Um, I would ask them to collect brushings and samples, and we can send those samples for pathology. Okay.
1: While they're there to temporize the area if it's narrow, uh, do you ask them to place a stent, or do you leave that to their discretion, or how, how do you what's your preference there?
2: I would say if it's technically possible, a stent would be beneficial for this patient, okay. but um, based on the degree of stricturing, it may be technically impossible.
1: So So they are able to do those brushings. Uh, You do have to wait several days, during which she improves in the ICU. And uh, they do ultimately seem to be benign. It seems as if uh, these are uh, benign brushings. Uh, How do we proceed?
2: So I would say maybe not today or tomorrow, but down the line this patient will need um, to have the stricture addressed surgically. So that could be a variety of procedures. Most commonly, I would say the hepatico J is going to be where you're going to start but obviously with a septic patient in the ICU, um, even with her improvement, that might not be the very first thing I'm going to do for her.
1: Okay so uh, would it be safe to say that a strategy would be to um, temporize her stricture with her uh, jaundice and um, you know given that she's jaundiced and plan for a elective or semi-elective abil- a procedure to kind of bypass or address uh, her stricture? Absolutely. Okay. And uh, you mentioned some options uh, to address uh, her uh, jaundice and her stricture if it is not technically possible during the ERCP to place a stent, as you said. Uh, you mentioned some other options from before that we may use to address her uh, jaundice uh, and to... Um, help her with her symptoms. Uh, Can you just share with us some of those uh, ways if they can't get across the stricture with an ERCP Mm -hmm. to address this?
2: That's when I would fall back on the PTC, the percutaneous transhepatic cholangiogram, because they are able to place a stent that will provide immediate symptomatic relief um, and will help to stent that stricture open.
1: Well, Dr. Heltzer, thanks so much for your time today with uh, taking us through this clinical scenario. It's a clearly a a bit unusual, but a difficult one, Uh, and biliary issues are something that we see um, at times uh, and when we're consulted for jaundice. So thanks for helping us with the surgical portion of the workout for jaundice. I know before we go today, uh, you wanted to share some of the uh, factors, uh, some of the facts you think are useful uh, for our resident colleagues preparing for their uh, in-service training exam and I know you've kind of teased out some of those facts that you think are key uh, for us to pay attention to both for our practice and on this ab site. So I was hoping you would take a minute and just share some of those interesting and useful facts uh, that we should be on the lookout for in this uh, upcoming exam.
0: The Ab Site Smackdown Podcast, bringing you the best for your ab site review.
2: Absolutely, so whenever I approach a hepatobiliary exam, I always fall back on the anatomy as a starting point because the anatomy informs so much of the underlying pathology. You can understand the hematogenous spread of a metastatic cancer as long as you can understand the vascularity and the underlying structures in the liver and in the gallbladder themselves. So um, important things that I always consider for Um, preparing for an exam about this sort of topic. There's a lot of little nitpicky points that tend to reappear on um, exams year after year. Um, A lot of basic science correlates, including how the gallbladder concentrates bile through an active process um, with a resorption of water to concentrate the bile, that can come up quite frequently. Um, Another thing that always comes up, getting a little bit more medical on us is the uh, the um, production of factors in the liver, including factor eight, which is specifically not made in the liver, your von Willebrand's factor is the only factor that is not made in the liver. Okay. But um, the factor five Leiden is only made in the liver, and all of your other factors are made in the liver as well as other places. So when you have a patient with liver disease, you always have to remember that they're going to have um, increased clotting problems.
1: Well, we appreciate the facts. And I know before we went on tape here, you were talking about uh, some of the interesting facts about um, hepatic artery variants. I know that came up, uh, I think, several times as we were talking uh, before we went on tape here. And I think in particular, you're talking about some of the most common hepatic artery variants, including uh, the replaced uh, right hepatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you want to just share with the group where replaced uh, right uh, hepatic arteries originate, and where they course, and kind of where we should be on the lookout for. Them.
2: Absolutely, this is something that will come up, not as a certainty, but with some high degree of certainty on your exam. They ask, they've asked this every year that I've taken it, or some variation therein. Um, not that I'm giving away testing information. <laughs> right. Um, but so in the in about twenty percent of patients, the right hepatic will come off of the SMA called the replaced right now the replaced right tends to run um behind the duct or um the replaced right hepatic artery tends to course posterior to your biliary duct um so
1: common bile duct
2: excuse me common bile duct. okay
1: oh okay great uh and i think uh, you know i really appreciate it because just as you say that replaced right is mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most common arterial variants uh, in the abdomen, period. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to me, it always has been, that the hepatic artery is the only artery with a naturally occurring thrill. You can put your finger on it and it feels like a fistula, and it's one of the only ones in the whole body, the only one I know of, uh, that has a thrill, which has always just been fascinating to me. So what an interesting Mm -hmm. sequence, uh, or what an interesting um, finding, uh, that it can be a variant, it can come off the SMA Mm -hmm. rather than the celiac, and can uh, coarsely, as you say, posterior to the common duct.
2: It, it also has very important clinical significance, of course, because um, I can tell you the very first time I did a cholecystectomy laparoscopically, the attending was sitting there with, you know, gripping the table. Like, you have to remember, he could have replaced right. You have to be so careful when you're um, skeletonizing and you're exposing your structures because you could accidentally get into the replaced right hepatic artery if it is in that area.
1: And just as you said, we typically don't skeletonize the common bile duct routinely, but it can be um, it can be an interesting uh, the, the biliary uh, portal triad in general, the hilum liver just has so many interesting variants including a short cystic duct uh, that can, you know, really fool us. So I think this is really worthwhile. We really appreciated your time today going through some key ab site facts and uh, specifically some facts about the workup of jaundice. So thanks again to Dr. Helseth. Good luck to you all on uh, your ab site coming up and we'll see you for the next episode.
2: Thanks for listening
0: to the AbSite Smackdown Podcast. Visit us at absitesmackdown.com for more great absite facts.